Can Cloud Coffee Podcast is brought to you by Steeped Coffee. Steeped Coffee is a new brewing method. It's basically coffee in a bag. That is correct. Take it wherever you want. You're telling me that I can take coffee in a bag anywhere and brew it just like tea. You're you're you're, you're right. <laughs> Is it nitrogen flushed? It's nitrogen flushed. It will stay fresh. It's compostable, but here's the thing. It's specialty coffee, not just coffee. Not just random coffee. So if you're in the jungle, say, and you happen to have some hot water with you, you could whip up a cup of amazing specialty coffee. That's true. Or if you're me and you went to a place where there was only Starbucks, you could get super hot water and put steeped coffee in there. And then all of a sudden, specialty coffee on the go. Imagine going to Cat and Cloud and wanting to get steeped where you can. You can get steeped coffee at steepedcoffee.com. You can get it at Cat and Cloud retail locations. Steep's also a benefit B Corp, which, what's a B Corp? It's something cool, right? I mean, that means that the team also gets profit sharing. Oh, so it's like a win-win. It's like a win-win. They take care of their team. Win-win. Well, if you haven't tried Steep, you should head on over there, steepedcoffee.com. Check it out and taste what coffee tastes like when it's in a bag. Especially coffee never was so easy. Okay, bye. You... Wait, you, do you sound louder than me? Do I? Probably because I'm talking louder than you. <laughs> do you got some vocal projection? Do you need vocal fry? Say yeah, something maybe. normally? Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. Keep talking. Um, yeah, I had a great morning this morning. Dropped my daughter off Are you preschool. coming up there? Do you yeah, feel like you're competing now? Yeah, I feel now? like I'm on the come up. I feel like you're on the come up. Yeah, that's... Let's give you a little more volume. Thanks. Let's give you a little more volume. Thanks, dude. Okay, welcome to the Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast. If you're watching on Instagram Live, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if you can hear us. I don't know if my phone's going to turn off. This episode, we're basically going to cover... Your Chuck Jack, if you're listening, you can't see us. Charles Jack is here with me. How's Hello, Charles. Good? Hey. So sweet. Thanks pretty, for having me. Pretty good. Hey, welcome <laughs> to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. We're going to dig into it because we actually have an 1130 meeting. We do. So Charles gave a presentation at the Specialty Coffee Association Annual Expo, part of the lecture series, and it was on creating sustainable careers in specialty coffee. And you took a look at a few different things. Basically, I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase some of what you said yep. so we can burn through and I can ask you some questions. But the one thing that you started off with, which I thought was really interesting, was talking about the scope of the coffee industry, how huge the coffee industry is. You know, People always say it's like the second most traded commodity right next to oil. Yep. So there's a ton of money floating around overall. So why is it so hard for people to get and maintain a coffee career exactly which is i want it's to know a huge the same thing. right it's a huge industry and you know through the supply chain and retail in the u.s i mean you know a majority of the money i think probably still goes to starbucks but like i think independent there's a huge opportunity for independent businesses to build careers for people as we grow as an industry like jt says like jared says all the time like we're a young industry and I think there's a lot of room as the independent sector grows to provide better careers for people than we have been doing. I agree. The specialty industry is growing. And it's like, you know, it's not as big as that big volume Starbucks stuff. But a lot of I see that as proof of concept yeah. that we can have big and efficient businesses while still maintaining quality. Yeah. So this talk is super useful for people. I mean, it's really useful for business owners, but it's really, really useful, I think, for baristas, even though a lot of the stuff sounds like really business owner oriented, if you're a barista and you're tracking to have a career in coffee, take note of these things because of that two-way street. Like 
you should have expectations from your employer just as your employer should have expectations from you. Yeah, totally. And that was something I talked about in the beginning was for everyone who's a coffee professional, whether you're a barista or a roaster, like view everything that we talk about through the lens of is my company providing this? Um, You know, are the owners being transparent? Are they thinking about a career path for me? Are they growing and, and will be able to provide a career path for me? So kind of all that, you know, is the cafe I work for operating, you know, this way and operating well and is this business successful and going to be able to provide for me later on. So kind of view, it's just as valuable, uh, you know, if not more for people who are just coffee professionals and just view what we're talking about through that lens and take it back to the company you work for. Hella, hella chill. And I think you maybe talked about this later, but I just want to put it on the table right away to where if people out there want to have a career in coffee, there needs to be some level of intentionality behind it. And you kind of made the analogy is where if you were take a traditional job, let's say you're a software developer or something in tech and you go to school and you learn these skills, you don't just like randomly get a job at whatever place is closest to you just because it's convenient. Yeah. But that happens a lot of times in coffee. You're really interested in coffee. You'll go do some training, do some education. You're like, oh, well, I'm I'm just going to get a job at the place down the street. Yeah. Which you should be searching out employers based on what you want and based on your career path and ending up in places where you can grow. Yeah. Just being aware of that. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a huge part. And I'd love to see more people in the industry take that intentionality and find those companies uh, that are growing, providing career paths for people and just doing a little bit of that work up front or you end up spending two, three, four years somewhere and then realizing, oh, wait, like this, this isn't the place for me. which happens to so many people it's real yeah so to get it cracking you talked about defining what you think a sustainable career is and like what what happens like or what what do you need to do to get a sustainable career what does that mean to you and one of these things is one just a certain level of income yep and you're arguing that that income should be able to buy you a house buy you a house yep yeah, for most Americans, your house is going to be the largest asset you ever purchase. Uh, it's going to be your biggest asset. It's going to be the biggest part of your retirement. And not, I mean, not just for anyone in coffee, but this is for um, anyone in the U.S. Um, and that you need a certain level of income that's going to help you get to that point of buying a house. And then the other thing that you also need out of a sustainable career is some sort of option or path for growth and learning. Exactly. Because even though, and everyone's going to write in and talk shit at me for this, like people that say like, I would be a barista forever. You actually aren't going to want to <laughs> trust me. Like you, you know, 12 years in, 12 <laughs> years in, you're not going to want to because I wanted to. And I talked to everybody else who wanted to, too. And it's cool. You don't even have to be one to be worth it. But it's just it's you want some sort of growth, some sort of path. Even if you work in the retail sector, you need to be learning. Humans have this desire to learn. You need to be challenged. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of talk about it in the vein of companies in terms of that challenge and growth. The thing that really pisses me off is is our companies that, uh, you know, preach about growth and challenging, but then they'll hire in people above you. Mm. You know, at Cat and Cloud, we have committed to kind of like a hundred percent, like, everyone's brought up uh, from within. And we really think that's the kind of company we want to create. That's the kind of culture we want to create and we want to reward hard work. And, you know, it may take a little bit more training on our end to bring 
people up that way. But I think it's 100% worth it for your business and it's 100% worth it for your people. And that's gonna be the difference between a company that I wanna work at and a company that I don't wanna work at. So you've got the idea of earning a certain amount of income, that income should be enough to buy you a house. You should have some sort of growth plan, but your ultimate end game, what you're really selling is that some sort of employee ownership is a real path to providing sustainable careers. Yeah, I think that was the biggest kind of piece of my presentation that I just wanted to, uh, you know, kind of emphasize. Is that for everything that we can provide as a company? I think really a sustainable career in this industry involves some kind of employee equity, and I don't. I think we see we see it a lot in other other industries, and you know it could be us being close to Silicon Valley. We see it in tech so much, like the entrepreneurial spirit of people in tech in the Bay Area. But I think coffee is actually a really entrepreneurial space as well. You see so many baristas and roasters that have had success start new businesses. So I think it's a really entrepreneurial group of people we have in the industry. And I think, you know, kind of passing that buck forward and getting your employees, um, you know, that type of ownership and buy-in to your business uh, is really like the way forward for a sustainable career for people to have that ownership. I have a lot of feelings about this, but I'm going to couch them until now. And we're just going to jam through this thing because we're going to recap on all of these things. So what are some examples of jobs that do pay what you consider to be like a living wage? Yeah, we- totally. So in the presentation, I kind of throw out, the, you know, there's a few studies like Pew Research Center, U.S. Census Bureau that kind of throw the middle class around fifty-five to $65,000. Depending on where you live in the country, there's very right. different like living indexes. Um, I think the majority of people that work in coffee probably live in the like twenty to $40,000 range most of the time. It's like 10 to $20 an hour. Sounds and, about right. Yeah, and it's, yeah, totally. And that's just not sustainable. So getting um, getting up into that $60,000 year range, um, you know, I think is going to be more sustainable. It's going to put you on a path toward being able to buy a house if you've got a partner who works, um, you know, that gets you even closer. Um, but I think that's where we've got to aim for. And, and equity is a part of that. Right. And those are jobs that are comparable, things like Entry-level software engineer, uh, registered nurse is in that zone. Yeah. Someone who's in corporate accounting, marketing, and sales. Yeah, these are yeah. all like professional jobs, and I, I'd love to see more <laughs> coffee industry jobs in in this area. Vibing with you. Um, so what? Like, what's the first step? What do we need to be aware of if we're if we're setting things up? We want to be able to provide for people. You're kind of breaking it down into a few different sections. You talk first about how you structure the company, secondly, about how you run your op- operations, and then third, about like some sort of growth plan. And the kind of mantra that you keep kicking around and around is what? Yeah, if, it's, if you don't structure and run a good business, there won't be money to take care of people. If you don't structure and run a good business, there won't be money to take care of people. <laughs> <laughs> I had to reiterate, <laughs> yeah. double down on this. And this was a huge part of live at SCA. Yeah. The intro that I gave for you was kind of based around this, which is yep. we have a lot of ideas. I don't know how to do the numbers. It doesn't make sense to me in my mind. So you're super valuable in that aspect. And it's also really close to my heart because I've seen a lot of people who are really, really talented at coffee and really, really good with people have businesses that are floundering, suffering, or even failing because not because they're not smart, 
but just because no one showed them this. Yeah. Like, and they're not respecting this part, not even respecting. They're, they're just unaware, yeah. I guess, is more like it. Yeah, totally. If you've never been exposed to it, you wouldn't have experience in it. But I think it's that much more important that anyone who's starting their own company who doesn't have um, you know, someone on their team with a financial background to try to find someone, find a mentor, find somebody in your network um, who has a little bit of that financial background just to take a look at what you're doing, go over some things, like brainstorm with them, throw ideas around and um, just gain a little bit of knowledge. It'll help you get up that um, like learning curve on the financial side like that much faster. And you, you said a specific number there, I can't remember, but you were saying the person... If the person who does your books can't deliver them by what the fifteenth, yeah, yeah, totally. It's like right for most people that don't do their you know financials or books in house. Like everyone who owns a business should have a bookkeeper who's giving you the previous month's numbers by the fifteenth of the next month. So if you own a business, you operate through March. Your bookkeeper should be giving you the financial results for March no later than April fifteenth. And if your bookkeeper can't do that, you need to find a new bookkeeper because that's just, that's like standard bookkeeping uh, practices. That's their job. Yeah. Hold them accountable. 100%. 100%. Get it dialed. So you talk about structure and the structure that kind of we run and the structure that you prefer is like that single entity. Yeah. Whether it's an LLC or S Corp or whatever isn't super important right away, but let me just ask a couple of different questions yep. and, and probe a little bit. Why the single entity versus, you know, making each store its own entity? Yeah, I think there's a few reasons. I like the single entity structure um, for its simplicity. Um, I also think about it in terms of if we are going to be carving out part of that for employees, it's much easier to carve it out of one entity than to try to figure out, you know, you have four or five different entities and what that looks like. Um, so if you had like five entities that were all different stores and then you wanted to give someone X percent of your company, you would yeah. carve out like micro percentages yeah, I don't of even each LLC and then your taxes would probably be gnarly. Yeah, I think just an allocation. Yeah, it makes it makes looking at the numbers so much simpler as well. I think it gives you a, a bit greater buying power with people like the bank and investors just to be able to very easily and succinctly uh, put your numbers together and and show them all in one place versus showing all these different structures. You know, there's. 50-50 structures, there's 75-25 structures with different ownership pieces for investors versus operators. And I think just trying to keep it simple will really help you down the line. And in the lecture, you talk about you know some of the struggles that startup faces, but aside from preferring this single entity for simplicity and flexibility, you're also advocating retaining as much ownership as humanly possible. Yeah, it's... The number one, like one of the biggest things to take away from this talk is like how, as you're starting a business, how can you structure it to retain as much ownership as possible? And even I had some conversations at the expo with people who mentioned, you know, they'd started out maybe in more of like, you know, starting a cafe and raising some money to help pay for it. And if that's the case, the thing I suggest is really to try to form an entity above it that has, you know, if you're, if you start roasting, form that roasting entity above it so that you own, you essentially own all the equity in that business. Mm, you got the and umbrella then, corporation. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Exactly. It's like setting up the umbrella that really is like 
the bigger owner in the company and then having the cafe just be a piece of it. Interesting. So that would, so even though, would that be a separate entity too? That yeah. Would, and the, yep. That would be to give someone the flexibility to kind of retain ownership of the whole corporation while being able to get started with a cafe if they don't have a lot of money. Yeah. And then you really hold all the equity to the roasting operations, which are really valuable. Gotcha. Okay. Super, super dialed. I'm going to scroll through here. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's multiple slides, if anyone was there, of if you don't <laughs> structure and run a good business, there <laughs> yeah. won't be enough money to take yeah, care of. Yeah, my, my mantra throughout. To take care of people. So structuring your business the right way, basically the way that gives you the most flexibility. And helps you retain the most ownership. And help you retain the most ownership. I guess that's what I mean by having the most yeah, flexibility. Because totally. you can always get rid of ownership, but you can't always get it back once you've given it away. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot easier to give out than get back. So if you start at like 50% ownership of your own company, you only have so much that you can parse out to yeah, your employees, exactly. which is really important if the idea that we're driving towards is... <clears throat> Excuse me, employee ownership is the key exactly. to sustainable careers. Exactly. And then along with that initial structure, and this is where I think a lot of people really got big use out of this, is running top-notch operations, what you call best-in-class operations. Like yep. Basically being able to run your business so that it generates the money and the profits that you need to be able to take care of other people. Yeah, exactly. If, you're, if your business isn't running as well as it can be, then you you don't have the money to take care of people. So this is something where really by focusing, you know, really on these operations and metrics, like that's what's going to give you some of the buying power to help take care of your employees down the line. And you know, as I kind of as we kind of talk through some of the numbers here, um, you know, it's, this is a specific business model. It's not a restaurant business model. It's a it's a cafe coffee shop model, and this works. Like this, I've seen it in other businesses, consulting or working there. And this is what how we live it at Cat and Cloud, and it's helped us move kind of methodically from one store to two stores to what'll be our third and fourth stores later this year. And then there's a couple things to note before we talk about these numbers. Yeah. One, how you said, this is the model for a cafe. So if your business is mostly food-based, this might not be your model. Exactly. You know, if you run basically a restaurant that serves nice coffee. That's cool, but these aren't. this is not going to be your mix. The second thing is that you're paying full price for coffee, full yeah. wholesale price for coffee. So if you own a cafe and a coffee roasting company, you need to run those as separate businesses. Yeah, business departments. Bi business departments and not subsidize one or the other. So for example, if your wholesale price for coffee, let's say it's like 1050 a pound. You should be selling coffee at that rate to your cafe exactly. and not passing it through at cost. Yeah. Whatever uh, that like, might be. Yeah, like three fifty or four dollars, right? Right. Because and we've done this at or we've been at businesses that do it this way, but it actually creates like a false sense of profitability of the cafe. Yeah, totally. It's really hard to compare numbers, um, you know, with other businesses when one is subsidizing them and the other's looking at um, as kind of like its own full standalone business. So I really prefer and think the right way is to look at, yeah, for your cafes to pay full wholesale price to your roasteries and as well in the same for pastries if you run, uh, if you guys run your own bakeries. And that way you're really, your cafe is comparable to every other cafe out there. Um, and that's where you can really see how well you're running the business or not running the business when you're able to create a comparable 
uh, situation. Right. So if you took like Kristen or Tanner who are managing the stores and they have their own P&L that they manage, yep. they know that if they're running a really awesome cafe, they, I'm, okay, This let me back up one step because this is kind of how we think about our operations. The cafe should be its own sustainable business. Correct. So if the roastery goes out of business, we could theoretically still get wholesale coffee and be as profitable as a cafe exactly. as we are now. And the same thing with the roastery too. The roastery should be its own standalone profitable business. So if we lost the cafes and just had like the space and money that was allocated to the roastery, we could run a wholesale business exactly. out of the roastery. Yep. And you yeah, and you just really need to keep things um you know, to keep them separate and, and because then you're going to be able to see where, you know, how you're operating in each business and how well you're doing. And yeah, just to like what you said, that each one should be separate and profitable. And you've got some benchmark numbers that yeah. you want people to hit. And first one is daily average. Yeah. So the first one we talked about was, um, yeah, your cafe daily average. And essentially, if your cafe can't do at least $2,000 a day, I don't want to work for you. And I kind of asked the audience at SCA, you know, why is this and and got some good answers. But really, it comes down to if we're viewing this through how we're going to be able to provide for our employees down the road. If you're making twelve, thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars a day, you're not going to be able to scale this business with enough profitability to be able to take to take care of employees in a number of ways. Uh, benefits are going to be tougher to provide ownership if you're able to give it to people your company's not really worth enough to like for what you want to give your employees to make it worthwhile and then any income that derives from that equity ownership um is not going to be very much so that's why i kind of throw out that number um it's a yeah and it's a problem it's just a problem of like mass scale so i want to dig deeper because this was a pretty challenging number for some people yeah some people are like dude what does that mean and to reiterate, we're not saying that if you don't make $2,000 a day, you suck. <laughs> yeah. It's There are a lot of shops out there that operate with lower daily averages that are probably providing great, um, uh, what do I want to call them, livings for families. So let's say you're like a single entity shop. It's like a mom and pop shop. You're running that $1,700 a day. That's like enough to take care of you and your family. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. No big deal. But at those numbers, you can't expect to take care of yourself plus all the other people. You can't expect to retain employees for 5, 10, 15 years because you have nowhere for them to go. Exactly. You have no opportunity for them, and it's like a function of sales. Yeah, that's that's my point with that. And, you know, we kind of look at it, right, that number is a combination of, like, you know, your number of tickets and your average ticket. Our average ticket's between 7 and $8. So we know that every cafe we open, we need to be pretty 100% sure that we can get at least 300 people a day through our doors starting out. And if we can't do that, we need to pass on that cafe and and we shouldn't be we shouldn't be spending all the time and effort it, it takes to open a cafe there if we're not going to get the return that we need from it. And I would also for people who aren't here yet, I wouldn't see it as a discouraging number and everyone's market's a little bit different, but I would just encourage everyone to approach this number with a really open mind. And if you're not there, figure out a way to get there. And yeah. there's no plug and play method to get there. Like how we do our dailies is totally different than how someone in LA is going to do it. It's totally different. That's how someone in like really rural areas is going to do it. 
And it might mean shaking yourself out of your own box of what you think your business needs to be. And that's okay. Like yeah. give yourself the freedom to be creative and do things that you maybe didn't plan on. Because if you can increase your daily average, like why wouldn't you? Yeah. I, I don't know. It's something that happens in coffee. Don't be too proud to like change the game. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, on that same page is like we talk to people who own one cafe and never want to grow. You know, again, if that is what you want to do, that's cool. But as a coffee professional, I don't want to go work for you because there's going to be no future for me there. You're going to have a limited lifetime there. Yeah, exactly. That's fair. 2K a day. That's the new hashtag. Yeah, Yeah, the next thing that we look at and really an important part of how you're running your cafe is I kind of had a slide going through kind of the cafe gross margin. Uh, and the number, the metric that we really look at here is 60% or above. And that's total gross margin. Total gross margin. It's the it's the money you have left, right? It's your sales minus the cost of all the goods, minus your cost of goods or the cost of all the products that you sell. Gives you your gross profit and your gross margin is just a percentage of sales. And this, I'm we're going to make a worksheet for this or just like a one page. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. We'll link it in the description. Yeah, because it kind of goes through... Yeah, in this business model, what your you know what our sales mix looks like, and what our margins look like for our different uh, product categories. So, I mean, I you know, run through them. Run through it really quickly. Quick. Yeah. So, sales mix would be like how much each item you sell is contributing. So. Yeah. yeah so we sell like sixty percent coffee, twenty percent food, twelve percent whole bean, five percent tea, RTD, and like three percent merch is like a hundred percent of your sales mix. And it's important to realize that if you have a cafe and roasting company, we're talking just numbers for the cafe. Yeah. So these are not you know when you're talking about whole bean coffee, that is not your whole bean sales from the roastery, that's just whole bean sales out of the cafe. Exactly. Because someone was like, we sell more whole bean than we do regular (laughs) coffee. And that's like, that's intense. (laughs) Maybe not true, Yeah. but whatever. Yeah, so it's that sales mix combined with um, certain margins that you're getting on each of those product categories. So you're getting a 66% margin on your coffee, a 50% margin on your food, a 45% margin on whole bean, an 80% margin on tea and other, and a 35% margin on your merch. And so that mix and margin combination yields around a 60% margin. And 60% gross margin. And that's just like the safe spot because it gives you enough wiggle room. Yeah, it gives you the cushion um, to for all the other expenses that we're going to talk about in a minute that still provide you with the income that you need at the end of the month. Okay, so let's dig into some of those other things yep. that you have to pay for that we love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and super, I mean, I, I kind of like this question as well. We talked about it at Expo, but... You know, the difference, the, one of the biggest difference between a cafe business model and a restaurant business model through the numbers that we just talked about is that food sales mix percentage is going to be a lot higher in a restaurant and it's generally going to have a lower margin. Mm. And so that really, um, you end up with a lower gross margin at the typical restaurant versus a cafe, which ultimately makes a restaurant a riskier business than a coffee shop. Which you basically make up through volume. Yeah, you have to right. push volume, but that just that is just part of the risk. That if that volume doesn't get there, you're left with less cushion, kind of like we talked about to get that income. We'll see how that goes next year. <laughs> 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 so biggest uh, biggest business expense. Yep, 
Yeah, it's your labor, your payroll. And I threw out some some guidelines to work with, uh, 25 to 30% of your sales to keep labor within those boundaries. Um, if your you know, cafe labor percentage is lower than 25%, you're likely not paying very, you know, not providing much in benefits or pay. You're potentially burning out and rolling through a lot of people, which you'll see it increase training costs. Um, anyway, if you're higher than 30%, you're maybe not running as efficiently as you could be. Um, and you know, higher above 30, you're going to start to see that, uh, be pretty impactful into your business in a negative way, just from a financial point of view. So 25 to 30%, and that's an all in number, you know, that's includes health insurance, PTO, payroll taxes. And for us, we're, we're closer toward like the upper end of that range around 30% just due to the benefits and things that we provide. Yeah. And then someone asked a really good question, which was, are our salaries included in that? And Jared's salary is directly allocated towards the cafe as he is head of retail. Yep. But our salaries are spread out in other parts of the business. In different parts of the business. Yep. That was a good... That was a pretty good question. Yep. Whoever asked that question. I have no idea. Good for you. (laughs) It was tight. (laughs) And then... Biggest fixed costs. Yeah, I put up this slide at Expo of, um, you know, it's a picture of our cafe and kind of asked the audience, you know, what is your most important fixed expense to get right? And 100%, it's your rent, your rent structure of the cafe you open. Um, you know, I kind of joked that, like, the slide should have been titled, like, Bad Leases Will Kill You. Right. Because it's super important. Um, yeah, signing bad leases where your rent structure, where you're paying a lot in rent, it's going to give you like really a higher hurdle to profitability. Um, You know, finding those really nice lower rent spots uh, where you still believe you get the traffic, that's like, that's going to be like a low hurdle to profitability. And so, you know, and once you lock in your rent and your lease, it's really hard to change it. So just throwing some benchmarks, like our rent at Portola was around 3% last year. Three um, percent of, of of total sales. Of total sales. Yeah, five to seven is you're in like a good zone. I've seen ten percent. That's not good. And sadly, I've seen fifteen percent, which is even worse. And when I'm, I kind of couch this in that like your total ex- operating expenses for the cafe should be ten to fifteen percent. So when you start to get up in that ten to fifteen percent zone just for your rent, you are making things really difficult for you're yourself. You're already pinched. Yeah, you're already in a hole. And then you talked a little bit about the the landlord kind of relationship, I guess yeah. you call it. Yeah, I think that's something that's underestimated by people, and it's super important. I mean, at best, a bad landlord can hinder what you're trying to do and make life really difficult for you, and at worst, it can totally cripple your whole business, particularly, um, you know, as you go get, try to, you know, maybe you could try to go get a loan or work with the bank. Um, there's certain things that the bank needs, uh, to see the landlords do. Yeah. Talk about that. What was the thing that like Dale had to sign off or whatever? Yeah. Your landlord will have to sign off, um, kind of like, a a release of assets within the cafe, um, because the bank will want to hold those assets as collateral. So that's something if you're funding a new cafe with part of a loan, something to be aware of that you, you know, talk to your landlord about that upfront um, and make sure they're willing to do that because that'll just, um, you know, that'll that'll speed the process as you're going through the loan. So yeah, really, 
you know, try to establish that good landlord relationship because it'll really pay dividends down the way. How would, this wasn't part of the talk, but how would you recommend approaching a landlord? Is it almost like the same way you'd approach interviewing someone? Obviously, it's a little more sensitive. Yeah, I mean, that's the ideal is that the landlord, you know, shares some of your values, wants you to be in this space. Um, you know, once you once you kind of prove your concept with one store, you know, store two or three, uh, ideally they see kind of what your brand is and see the value that your business brings to their space. I mean, coffee shops are great for landlords. It's usually the highest uh, traffic space within a landlord's building or buildings. So, um, You also mentioned that they take in money every day. What was that? Yeah, and that'd be, yeah, I mean, they're pretty solid businesses when they're run well. So landlords should definitely... Um, you know, it's pretty like high value business for them to have in their space and increases the value of their building. So, um, yeah, I think it's just finding someone who appreciates your business and your brand and wants to see you succeed. That's fair. Yeah. And we experienced that with, you know, first and second. And then the third lease that we signed, it's basically, it's cake at that point. Yeah. Because people can come into stores number one and two and be like, yeah, this is fucking awesome. Yeah. I obviously want this in my building. The first <laughs> yeah. one's the struggle. Yeah, the first one's always a struggle. But after that, I mean, if you've done a good job with the first one, you often get people approaching you of like, hey, I've got this space and I love what you're doing. We'd love to have you, uh, you know, come into our space. And that's where, you know, you get into landlords providing tenant improvement dollars, um, you know, uh, free rent until you open, things like that, that really make your life easier when you're starting the cafe. Nice. And... Net income, magic number. Yeah, so this all kind of filters down to your income percentage that you get at the cafe at the end of the month. And I'm going to throw out that 15% is great. I mean, 15% net income for a cafe is kind of where you're maximizing the financial abilities of the cafe while not sacrificing service or burning out employees. Um, I think that's where where you need to try to get to. I mean, 10 to 15% is good. And that's, I mean, honestly, that's where we were at Portola last year. We were in between 10 and 15%. We're still pushing for 15%. And I mean, at Cat and Cloud, if our managers can hit that 15% number, they get a $10,000 bonus at the end of the year. If they can hit that for, for the year, that, I mean, that flows through to so many other parts of benefiting our business. What's like the lowest you would feel comfortable going? Yeah, I mean, you really... Like dipping below 10 is pretty yeah, bad. Yeah, dipping below 10, you're really um, not giving your... You're giving yourself like a pretty low threshold for if something goes wrong. And right? is there, with with that net income, so all the money that's left over, do you specifically want to see a certain amount of money in the bank at all times? I know we talk about cash flow on different things. Do you have like a buffer cash that's like a percentage of your overall operating expenses that yeah definitely yeah i mean that and that gets kind of into like a a larger company right you should you'd want to have that for each cafe as well as for like your business overall um you know somewhere between one and two months expenses right. as a cash number is like a good general buffer okay. uh, cash buffer rule cool yeah good knowledge um yeah. And then, I mean, talking about the low end of where you want to be, I mean, most restaurants every day, every year operate in the 5 to 10% range. And again, that's just why that business model is riskier because if something goes wrong, um, 
you know, they've got less of that buffer to help them get through it. So push the volume. Yeah, exactly. Crank that bad boy up. Yeah. And then we looked at a PL, which isn't really useful here, but just yeah. basically is a visual representation of all of those numbers that we just talked about and broke down one of ours from real life, which was what, $2,600 daily average, yeah. one of the months. And we're pretty close to all those numbers. So 59.6% gross margin instead yeah. of 60. That's pretty good. Yeah, we're in the zone. 15.2% net margin. Yeah. Sweet you know yeah and it was really cool and i got a lot of good feedback at expo from throwing up you know i threw up uh our pnl from december last year i just like actual pnl and kind of walked through it and just got really great response and appreciation just for the transparency that we show you know we go through uh our cafe financials with our whole staff um around every three months and I've got nothing but positive feedback from our employees just about how it helps them tie what they're doing to kind of how the company overall is doing. Such a major key. There were a couple questions at the end of your lecture and a couple of them, they were going in the same direction, which was like, how can I explain what I'm trying to do to my people? Like Chach asked a question. He's like, I have a lot of ideas. Like, how can I present ideas so that I make sure that they're in line and I'm not like thinking like way out in in space? And one part of that is like mission, vision, values alignment. Yeah. But I think sharing the numbers with people creates like a real perspective around what is possible and what's going to be a really big challenge for the business in the next coming like quarter, yep. half year, or year because it it puts a little bit of weight on. I gave examples like when I was younger, I've thought like, okay, cool. Like you open a business and then you have a bunch of money. Like everybody (laughs) who owns a business is basically (laughs) rich and, or that there's just money. They see money coming in all the time. Like there's shitloads of cash floating around a coffee shop. You know what I mean? But seeing where all that goes and just looking at like, you know, I'm looking at the numbers right now, like payroll. Wow. That's a big number. Rent is a pretty big number. Um, selling marketing expenses like ev- like everything you know you've got your depreciation your bank fees just all these little things that most people don't think of and i think sharing these numbers really kind of yeah it helps people see the bigger picture and get alignment with kind of how you're looking at the business and and alignment to what they're doing on the day to day and how it connects it i think it's huge yeah it's kind of scary too, in a way. <laughs> yeah. I remember when we saw it, like it was those first couple of months, the amount of money that like actually hit the bottom line. I was like, wow, that's not a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, dude, it's, it's We've been you know, in- there's a slide in here that's like running a business is hard. And, um, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of expenses, a lot of un, unknowns that happen, you know, while you're running a business. And so, there's a lot of places where kind of managing the cash is like a, a big job in and of itself. It's all huge, man. I don't, I don't, I don't even know. It's just <laughs> no idea. Um, so we've talked about structuring your cafe in the right way, get hitting your numbers. Um, another thing that is important for people to succeed or have sustainable careers is this idea of, of growth. Yeah. And then growth is basically growth can be like this dirty word that people talk about yeah. like oh people talk to me all the time you guys gonna get big and sell out and yeah. I'm like, well we might get big but that doesn't mean you have to sell out yeah you know big is not necessarily bad and it's growth not so that we can buy lambos or whatever <laughs> yeah. 
But if you let's say you have someone, let's make it real. Yeah. Say you have someone that started with a company. Let's say Alex. He yeah. was part of our first round of hires. Yep. Never had a coffee job before. He's in. He starts coffee. He's like working behind the reg, whatever. We've grown as a company. And every time we've grown, he's been able to kind of ratchet up his position. Yep. So now he's like in he's like a wholesale team lead, right? Yep. If we took the company and kept it the exact same size that it is now, boom, there goes his opportunity for growth. There goes his ability to have a career. Yep. You know, because he's not meeting that like where we want him to be, like yeah. where we see him in like five years, he's not there. And to be able to generate that kind of revenue, you need to grow. Yeah. You just have to. Yeah. And I mean, you know, made a joke like we don't mean you know you need 50 or 100 stores you know we're not trying to sell our company for like a billion dollars to nestle but yeah. like think about growth almost reverse engineering the idea of growth and think about this is what i want to be able to provide for my employees and so this is the this is the growth we need to get there to have our company be worth something so that it's worth something to employees to have it have the income that it needs so that um, employees ownership that income is flowing through to them so you know for us we throw around the idea of, of like 10 stores you know and that that kind of growth will help us provide as we like carve out employee ownership for people um, provide them a good value and provide them a good income in addition to their salary yeah that's that's great and i think of businesses that people generally love or people have like fan that are fanning out on like uh i don't know there's apple's got this cult around it right yeah and no one's like man apple was better when it was just like two <laughs> yeah. dudes in a warehouse it's yeah like a lot of the things they do for people that's that's great and they're, yeah. they're big but they're not bad yeah exactly well maybe you think they're bad chuck thinks they're <laughs> yeah, bad <laughs> pcs all day pcs <laughs> your pcs literally melted <laughs> yeah. that's a different story heat wave um at the end of the end of the day, you've got all these things that can help you structure and run awesome business. But again, what you're selling is that to make it real, employee ownership is just a huge part yeah. of, of the equation. Employee ownership is the key. And that was kind of the real push of my presentation is really just to get a bigger conversation started in this industry um, around employee ownership and how can we all as an industry um, do this for our employees. And then there are some things that we're doing right now that everybody can really do that are kind of first steps, like on the path to ultimately ownership. Um, so some of the examples, which you've probably heard about before, if you listen to the podcast are retail profit sharing. We do 10% of the cafe profits split up amongst them. Yeah, it's employees. 10 per, yep, 10% of all the profits are split per rata by all the retail staff, part-time and full-time, just paid, by hours worked. Right. Paid vacation. So full-timers get four weeks paid vacation. Part-timers get two weeks paid vacation. Yep. And we encourage everybody to take it, which I, that is also just as important as providing the vacation. Yep. Is giving people the permission to use it and telling them that they should use it. Because yeah. you can give someone vacation all day, but a lot of people are just like, I don't want to take it because I don't know if there's like a stigma that they're going to think I'm a bad employee because I'm taking my vacation. So if you give people vacation, please encourage them to use it. Yeah, you 100%. Know? For real. Um, helping out with health insurance. So paying 50% of the health insurance. And there's some people who are 
young that are on staff who are still on their parents' insurance. Yep. So they get basically a hundred dollar wellness stipend. Yeah, and they could yeah, with his yoga get a massage or, or Jared corrals them to go to CrossFit, you know. <laughs> He's like <laughs> Oh, you're coming with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take them on trips. So you've seen and heard about some of the origin trips that we do. Um, we've taken like a third of our staff to origin and or SCA, which is rad. I think we spent like $22,000. Yeah. We quantified it the other day. We quantified it 22 grand. And that's money well spent. You know, I, yeah. I don't think I don't see that number and it doesn't freak me out. I'm just like, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Just going on those trips and seeing how it affects people on so many levels. It's like, it's way worth it. Yeah, I think everybody that's gone for the first time and come back kind of had their mind blown, and it really, Laced. it really helped them see the like, you know, from from seed to cup, like the impact they have, and just the idea of doing something for someone that you don't have to do because it's you know what I mean. Like, you own a business, you've been coffee forever, you've you've seen processing, you've seen this stuff. It's like, yeah, you don't have to send your employees, but like, why would you not? Yeah. You know, it's like sharing that love and they appreciate that. Yep. Um, external education. We spent about $15,000 <laughs> on external yeah, education, which again is, is part of bringing people up from within, right? We're committed like not to hire, you know, outside people in above our people. And so part of that is going to be an investment in us, particularly like our leadership team. You know, we have uh, the three of us and seven of our employees on our on what we call our leadership team that um, meets quarterly and kind of talks about a lot of the bigger issues our company faces. And part of bringing those people up to be leaders in our company is a, is an investment. It's an investment. And here's the thing: if you want to hire outside people. Be ready to do just as much, if not more work, than promoting someone from within, even if that person within has like absolutely no skill. Yep. Because the leg up that they have is that they know the culture. Yeah. They're already integrated into the team. And no matter how good someone is at something, if they don't get that portion of it and they yep. can't integrate, they're basically worthless. Yeah. It's not going to be a fit at all. And culture, cultural integration takes a really, really, really long time, which is nice because once people come in, they come through the door of Cat and Cloud into either the cafe or the roastery yeah. and then work up. By the time they've got to that level to where they're ready for something else, they're already culturally integrated. Yeah. It's saving on training costs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that too. You said, Put that, that, was in the in, that was in JT's presentation last yeah. year. Oh, yeah. The turnover costs and yeah. training costs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we talk about tips a little bit and making the point that like, yeah, we don't pay people tips. That's something that our people earn and that the, our guests give them. But taking an active role and setting up an environment that promotes making enough money and tips. Yeah. So if, you, if your standard of business is like an unfriendly, kind of grungy, dirty cafe, you're not setting your employees up to make the most money that they could in yeah. tips. Yeah. And our employees make five, you know, credit card and cash tips together, five to $7 an hour, which I think is toward the higher end of the industry. So it's like putting in that structure that will help them succeed, uh, on that, on that level. 
And then someone's going to write in who works in like the psycho high volume yeah, and yeah, yeah. like whatever. And they're like, I'm like, yeah. it's like, you, that's cool. And Dude. we're proud of you, but that's not normal. Yeah. No. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. All of these numbers can look better if your cafe is doing five to $10,000 a day, dude. Like for sure. <laughs> living yeah. the dream. Balling. <laughs> yeah. You got to crawl before you ball. Though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, uh, you know, on the next slide and kind of going through, we can kind of talk about, so why, why employee ownership, right? As an owner, you know, why, why is it worth me giving ownership to employees? Right. And that sense of connection and alignment is one of the biggest things. Like you're literally bringing someone into the fold with you. So yeah. instead of just being like, a bystander or just someone who's looking from the outside in, you, you know how it is when you own something, you take like really good care of it. Yeah. And it's just like, Oh yeah, this is, this is mine. And it's not just, it transitions from that like clock in clock out life to like, this is something that I am part owner of yep. and I have a vested interest in seeing that succeed. Yep. And more so than just wanting it to see it succeed. It's, it's like your baby now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just the kind of culture we want to create. I mean, then everyone starts thinking about the bigger picture um, is more interested in the company as a whole succeeding versus, um, you know, like Grace, who's our uh, roastery team lead. Sure, it's like you could, you know, incentivize her to run the roastery, uh, you know, in an amazing fashion and just have her focus totally on that. But then you open up a conversation to, to ownership in the company and all of a sudden, you know, I would, you know, I think her mind goes from, just focusing on the roastery to really integrating with the rest of the company and seeing how her department fits in with the, with everything else going on. Man, that's such a good point. I don't think, did you talk about that at Expo? No. Man, that is, that is such a huge thing. There is this like, there's these departmental barriers and it's extreme you, ownership. I did throw the extreme things, ownership book out. Yeah. Which, you and that's part of it. Yeah. Which we were going to do a podcast on that today, but the, um, the Chuck talks were so hot. Yeah, we're gonna <laughs> we'll do that one again it. though. But yeah, you roll on that. Yeah, one. no, I, I just think that's something that I see as a weak point in a lot of companies that people are basically fighting for their department, which is important, but it's so key to know how you interface with the rest of the organization because yeah. you're not the only one out there. And without that understanding of how the puzzle piece fits together, you're lining yourself up to be butting heads with other departments. Yeah. And that's not good. Like yep. everyone needs to be on the same team. Yep. And if you do it right, you have this like amazing circle of life. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Circle of life. Yeah. yeah. No, it's just that interdepartment connectedness versus, you know, I've seen it before, the roastery and the like the roastery and the cafe is kind of probably like the oldest example of like people butting heads and maybe not understanding the other people's uh goals or what they're trying to do. And so the more we can bring them together and get them united around Yeah. One or like cause. roastery and wholesale. Yeah. That's like a train wreck just yeah. fucking waiting yeah. to happen. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's just I need this. I need today. this now. I need Ten this minutes. yesterday. Five you can't minutes. do this. I won't do this for you. <laughs> ah! I, know. I don't know. I would just, as, as a base level, I would, I would look at um, how you interact with other departments yeah. just the same way that you would interact in a customer service situation. Yep. Well, and really, this? I mean, talk about it more in the book, but like actually getting to know the leaders in other parts of the business and taking the time to show them 
uh, how you work, like invite them into your department and right. let them see how you work and visit, you know, go visit them in their department and understand what's important to them. Like if someone's not, there's that example of the factories where someone's not producing for you, they're not getting their stuff delivered on time, they can't do it. It's probably not that you just don't want to, you know, <laughs> yeah. everybody wants to make money. Yeah. Everybody wants the team to win. Yeah. So like, go talk to them, see yeah. like, hey, this is what's going on. Like, are there any challenges that you have? Can I help you? Let's yeah. figure out some creative ways to do this together. And then everybody wins. Because there's that old, you know, everyone's feeling like, oh, it's not my fucking problem. Yeah. But actually, it is your problem. <laughs> <laughs> You're yeah. on the same team, bro. Same team. You're on the same team. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And again, so like that's a big piece of ownership, I think, in the culture we want to create is that, you know, really we're all on the same that we're all on the same team. And you have here, everybody wins in the ownership situation. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, I just think of what we want to do as a business holistically. And we've been the people making $10 an hour, you know, in other businesses. And I think I want to create a business where everybody wins, where where we're able to create livelihoods for ourselves and for our employees, where we're all in it together. And I think when you're owning something together that you're winning and they're winning and that every like that everybody's winning versus you know this is mine and i built it and it's my baby and i don't, I don't know a, what people think like oh you guys are i'll tell I you exactly i guess replace exactly you guys. what people think dude <laughs> yeah. people don't want to and i've worked with people like this and it's fucking insane like people think that since it's their business, they're solely responsible for that business's success or failure. When in reality, yeah. as an owner, you're a huge influencer, but you can do just a tiny percentage of the tasks all by yourself. Yep. Especially if you're talking about having a business of some scale and providing for other people. And let's say you own 100% of your business and you don't want to give up like 2%, 5% to someone because you think that like makes you less powerful. It's like the most bullshit ego so trip dumb. that you could ever be on. And it's like, okay, buddy, be ready to be fucking doing the shit that you don't want to do 10 years from now. Because I know people that do that and they're like, cool, I own a cafe. I own all of it. Guess what I do? I go to cash and carry. I go to get like whipped cream chargers from the store. I go to do all these like dumb tasks that I should actually pay someone more to do or get someone invested in my business so I can focus on the next big thing, which for us is creating new opportunities for yeah. people to grow in the form of more wholesale business, more stores, maybe diversifying revenue streams and some other things, not to make money, but to lift those people up. And yeah. if we can have like the stuff that we've done to do it without help, fuck that yeah. we would not be here like no. like we say it all the time but our team is gangster and they're super strong and like it's part of them just being badass and part of us just letting them be badass and that's like faults included yeah you know what i'm saying it's just like sure no one on our team is perfect and we certainly aren't perfect as owners either but you know we're learning different things they're learning different things but i just like i don't i don't get it I mean, yeah. I get it, but I just, it's dumb. Yeah. Cause I, I want, you know, I want Grace. I'm to, angry. Yeah. No, dude. <laughs> so with you, man. Cause yeah, you, these people, like, we can only do so much. And we see on the daily how, you know, all of our leadership and all of our employees are building so much value for the company and pushing the company forward and doing so much. And I just want to have, 
a business, a community where we're all in it together, where Grace and Tanner and Kristen, Nicole, like that they're with us 10, 15 years down the line and we're all in this together. Plus, it's like, let's say you take that 100% that you own. What fucking difference does it make if you give away a certain percentage of that? Like, is it really impacting you that much? Yep. Or is it just your pride getting in the way of what you should do? Like, is it going to kill you? I'm not saying give away your whole business so you only own like 15% of your store or anything. Yeah. You you know, you want to keep the direction right. And like, but it's just like, what I can't but really. Carve it, carving 10 to, like the I standard really is kind of like why. carving 10 to 15% out Which for, I, for your employees. And I couldn't really, I can't think of a good reason why that doesn't work. And if people... If people are out there saying, oh, my employees are lazy, I don't think I have the right people, I wouldn't want to give these people 10% of my company, I would fucking go stand in front of a mirror and look at yourself (laughs) and look at what kind of people you're hiring, how are you training them, are you putting in enough time with them to make sure that you can get those people because I will tell you that people are fucking out here talking shit about millennials and stuff like that and it's like, these people are smart. You know what I'm saying? Like these people are capable. Some of them, there's, there's always like weird, like there's always people that are not right fit for your businesses. And maybe you have some of those. And if you do, it's up to you to get rid of those people too. So if you have the wrong team, that's your fault. Yeah. Yeah. And to flip it around and talk from like the coffee professional point of view, if you have owners that aren't being transparent, aren't showing you things, aren't talking about, long-term career plans for you you might want to question like what you're doing there right get out of there try to help first i guess yeah. you know go down that path see but if you're at a dead-end road i mean the sooner you realize that the better yeah and it's all about finding those companies who want to take care of people well and it's like that are stru- <laughs> right that are structured well that are making money that are have growth opportunities and that have owners who want to provide career like longer term careers for people and i hope that that's not just like this you know i know there's other people that believe this same stuff and i think every job that like everything i do i wish i would have done it done it like four or five years earlier you know but i couldn't see and i was in this like scarcity mindset to where like fuck i can't move on like there's nothing else this is as good as it gets and i just i don't know i don't think that's true i don't know what the answer is but Get the fuck out of there. (laughs) (laughs) Don't let people take advantage of you. It's not chill. Exactly. Totally not chill. Um, There's a ton of other tech companies that do this. You know, you cited Whole Foods, WeWork, REI. Yeah, yeah, Farfetch. Everybody knows companies that give back. And And the point is that, you know, this model is real. It's not just like a dream model. It's just gonna take a little bit of work and some crazy gnarly people to bring it into the coffee industry yeah and i talked about it at expo where our goal is to have something implemented by the end of this year so yeah so you'll be able to kind of follow along and we'll talk more about it on the podcast um right i mean first we're gonna talk at our next offsite with our leadership team about about this stuff and about what uh direction we all want to go and yeah we'll kind of continue to like like chronicle it on the podcast as well i changed my mind i don't want to give up any of my percentage (laughs) you guys give away your percentage and i'll just keep my 33 (laughs) 
Um, this guy. You talked about different kinds of ownership. Yeah. Different levels, like basically how you would take and split up those profits. The basic and easiest one to do, which is what we do now, which isn't really ownership, yeah, uh, is profit sharing. Yeah. So taking a percentage of the bottom line and splitting it up. And it's, I mean, it's the people. simplest for people who want to start doing something, but maybe, um, you know, are on the smaller side or legal, there's always legal and tax consequences to each of these. I mean, profit sharing, that's a great place to start, particularly if you do it within your whole company and you're taking the whole company bottom line and um, kind of assigning people different profit sharing percentages. That's like a great place to start. Um, the cool thing about profit sharing, I'll say, is that e- like anybody can do it because as a percentage of the bottom line, you can always carve that out. Yep. Now, it may not be a lot at first, yep. but it's still there. The second thing, which is kind of the same way that vacation acts, like even if it's not a ton of money, the actual act of doing it is like a pretty cool gesture yep. because it just doesn't happen everywhere. So to have someone go the extra mile, be like, Hey, like I really believe in what you're doing. This is cool. Here's this. And then even though it's not quote unquote ownership, it does give people a sense of ownership and also a little bit of empowerment because they see like, Hey, if we can like get to that $2,000 a day and crunch these numbers a little bit harder, like that amount is going to go up. Yeah. So you have some sort of control. Yeah, exactly. And then, Couple different equity options. Yeah, the phantom ones, equity. What yeah, the heck is that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there's a few different. You know, as you kind of like go up the complexity scale in um, in kind of how you give away equity. Um, so phantom equity plans versus full equity option plans. Um, Fanny. So. Fanny equity. <laughs> Fanny. Um, as I was kind of doing a lot of research for this presentation and just for our company, a lot of the people I talk to that have smaller businesses uh, use phantom equity plans. And it's a, with full option equity plans, there's a lot of tax consequences uh, and legal structures that you have to be aware of. What Like legally how your business is structured, it has to be a certain way. And as well with any kind of equity, it, you run into, uh, particularly with equity option plans, one of the downsides is you run into awarding people equity, which is taxed as income that year, mm. but them not necessarily deriving the benefit of it that year. So it could so, actually be bad for Yeah, you could actually have somebody who, like, that we gave you equity worth this much, and it's taxed that year. Oh, so you actually even made less money that year because not, of what yeah, you paid. But even tax. though they're not receiving anything any real money for that actually because it's based off the valuation exactly Uh. so that's where phantom equity plans are nice and easier to implement because there's less of that legal and tax uh complication involved um to where you're essentially giving your employees rights um to percentages of the business to income of the business to you can put kind of like a change of control um you know, piece in there. So everything that a normal kind of equity incentive plan can do, a phantom equity plan can do. It's just um, usually uh, less legal issues, less tax issues, and um, it's easier to set up. So 
those we'll kind of be talking between the two of those mainly when we meet with the team in May. Fan um, equity and equity options. Yeah, but I'm probably I'm probably at this point leaning toward some kind of fan like phantom equity plan. An equity option plan is basically the standard just like you get the percentage, but you also get all the tax shenanigans yeah. with it. Yeah, and it's with a phantom plan you can set it up over time. Like I like the idea of giving small percentages to people over time. Um, you know, that become theirs over time. It's like an accrual process, yeah, basically. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's not it's not about, you know, just throwing a bunch Dumping of equity, equity against the wall. Um, but it's structuring it in a way um, where people are earning it over time as they're providing value to your business, as they're becoming leaders and growing and um, and influencing your business, they're rewarded in that way with um, more and more pieces of equity. So it's like the equity is like kind of growing with their development. Yeah. That's cool. Exactly. And then equity grants. Yeah. And you talked I, about that for like kind of the corporate bigwig who comes in and... Yeah, just to kind of cover all like, uh, you know, the majority of the different ways people are granted equity. Um, straight equity grants are usually more at like the executive level of people coming in and straight getting like a percentage of the company, like a new CEO or a new CFO or somebody really influential to your business coming in and you, um, kind of awarding them part of that. Maybe they are taking a little bit lower salary and, or something like that. And you're straight giving them equity, which again has all the like legal and tax consequences of, um, of like the option plan. Like if we discovered there was another Jared Truby, yeah. we wanted to have him also be an owner. <laughs> another gonna third. You, we're going to give you a grant. One more <laughs> yeah. third. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's another thing I kind of talked about is a bit of a sidebar, but when you're starting a business, just think about how many owner operators you have. We have three. And so, yeah, I mean, I got some questions afterwards kind of, you know, how do you guys as owners pay yourselves? And that's part of, I mean, the growth that's involved as well is like when you have three owners, we each have a third, we need to get to a certain level of growth just to give ourselves sustainable mm -hmm. uh, income and things like that. Like I talked to somebody after my lecture who had six owners. It's a lot. It's a lot. And it's going to require some planned growth to get them in a position to provide for their employees. Because for the record, the thing, like the benchmarks that you talked about earlier, we're not hitting yet. Meaning like we don't make enough money to buy ourselves a house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I asked, um, a, yeah, I asked a question at Expo, like how many, how many non-owners owned a house? And it was almost no one. And then how many owners? And there were a few. Like 10 but, maybe? But yeah. we were not. Out of a room of hundreds? Yeah, yeah. we were not the ones raising. We, uh, yeah. <laughs> no houses yet. Yeah. It's, it's a plan. Yep. We want to get there. Yep. And that's, that's the thing. It's a plan and we're kind of planning for how we can get there and then how we can get our employees there. And someone also asked, like, do you take salary or do you take a draw? And we take a salary because we want that W-2 income yep. that will actually hopefully help us buy that house whenever we reach that income level. Because if you only take a draw, yeah, you basically it's have no paper trail to get a loan for a house. Yeah, right? it's harder. We, so we're an LLC, but we're taxed as an S-corp, which allows ourselves to, as owners to pay ourselves W-2. And so when you're paying yourself W-2, we're paying into Social Security. Um, you do pay a little bit extra as a company in payroll taxes, but we're kind of willing to do that to um, 
to show that W two income, pay into Social Security for as we get older. Some we're not that old, right? Not yet. Okay. Um, but um, but yeah, that structure allows us to take W two and and um, yeah, and just kind of put us on a like the path of least resistance to be able to to get a to buy a house in the future. That's what's up, dude. Um, that is like the bulk of the lecture. Yeah. Um, there also is, I wanted to throw this out here. Yeah. There, there is a link and we'll put this down low too. If you go to catandcloud.com slash responsibility, Chuck's building a newsletter. <laughs> yeah. A newsletter for, well, you tell. That. Yeah. And this is this kind of my call to action at the end of the presentation was. You got three people signed up. Why only three? Everybody? That's t- yeah. Come on. Come on. Get yeah. together. Well, I think if we make the link. We'll, we'll make, make the link, the link hot. Yeah. easier to it'll be a hot link to get to too. But really, I want to um, challenge or not challenge, but encourage roasters to uh, really. I want to create a resource where companies are offering maybe through like a survey what kind of pay benefits, uh, any equity incentives or you know, growth opportunities um, through a survey of roaster retailers so that coffee professionals and kind of like publish it maybe like annually so that coffee professionals can see what different companies are offering what i think it'd be a really cool resource for everyone who works in the industry to see but then also i'd really like to push um coffee company owners to to do more and to provide more and and just to be intentional um, about how they think about their employees' futures, I guess, is the is the biggest part. For sure. And I think a lot of it sounds really overwhelming and it can sound really big. And I was talking to some people at Expo specifically about education, but I think the same mindset applies here. And they're talking about all of like the orientation and the onboarding and the documentation. And people are like, how do you do, like, how do you even find the time to do that? And my answer was, you just in your head make it a non-negotiable thing that you have to do. Yep. You decide that it's going to be as essential as someone walking behind the counter, clocking in and making coffee. It's just a part of your business. Yep. And once you make that decision to where it's like, okay, I'm going to own this. We're going to do this. Then you're committed. You find ways to figure it out. Yep. You know, And I think that holds true for this. It's like maybe you don't have all the answers right away. Maybe it seems a little overwhelming, but... Take that one step. Be like, I'm going to do something more, more yep. than what I'm going to do, and I'm just going to do it. Yep. Like, go yeah. there. Yeah. And again, I mean, part of it just with the mantra throughout is you've got to structure your business right. You've got to run your business really well. And then you've got, the, and by doing that, then you've got the money to provide some of these things. And if you're not doing those first two things, then you're going to be like, ah, oh, I, I, you know, I, I don't have the money, da, da, da. And, I mean, I would really like to encourage people to continue to push and try to get to the place where they are in position to take care of people. It's so fucking real, dude. It's yeah. so real. Yeah, passion, dude. That's what I... Passion. That's, yeah. And the funny thing, this is maybe more tangential or whatever, but it's like how this stuff looks on paper, especially if you're a new business owner, everything actually feeds each other. So I know a lot of people go in and you think like, okay, like I have this much equity and I make this much money. The more I spend, the more I give away, the less I'm going to have. And it's actually the complete opposite, yeah. which is 
the more you invest in people, the more you're willing to give away, the more you're willing to empower is actually the more you get back. Yeah. And I would, you know, we can look at our PL and our daily averages and what we sell wholesale and what we do on the website. And if we took back all of that money that we spent on origin trips and took back all of that money that we spent on external leadership, that money, it's not like, oh, that'll be added to the bottom line. It's like, no, because we didn't spend money on those things and invest time in those things, yeah. actually our daily average is gonna be lower, our wholesale program's gonna suffer, and like the whole business is gonna shrink down. Yeah. It's an investment. It's an investment. It's an investment. That shit accrues over time. Yeah. And the other thing, just one thing that somebody asked at the end of the lecture as well is like like we've been able to do this in a year and a half, but what's like a what's like a timeline mm. that, you know, cause it's, it's hard, like just opening a business, you know, we didn't do a lot of these things right away cause we need to see that the business is, is going to succeed and going to operate. And I think that's normal, but I think giving yourself like three to five years from when you open, um, you know, to get some of these benefits out to get, um, you know, something like an equity plan in place. I think three to five years is a good goal that you can have as as somebody who's just started a business in the last couple of years right. to, to plan for and think about it along that timeline. That's a good point. Because yeah. when we started, we were just like, okay, we're going to do the vacation for sure, and we're going to do the profit sharing. Yeah. And we came right out of the gate with those. Yeah. We added the health thing later. Yep. Obviously, we didn't have any origin trips right out of the gate, but <laughs> yeah. we, just, we started those in the first year. But yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So yeah, you definitely give yourself a kind of plan over a number of years to get there. Cool. That's the Cat and Cloud Chuck podcast. Yeah, dude, that was SCA awesome. SCA edition. I know. And thank you to everybody that came uh, to see the presentation last weekend. It was really awesome. It got me like super jazzed. And he really did get super jazzed. Super dude, you were jazzed. hyped. Dude. Yeah, dude, I was <laughs> you like, had that like after workout yeah. kind of energy going. <laughs> yeah, you're all, I could do it again. Yeah, it was. I could go in. It was awesome. And all the people I talked to afterwards. Um, yeah, I I just really enjoyed it, and so I want to thank everybody for that brilliant all right we're gonna wrap this thing up goodbye i don't even know if that's still on but um yep i hope you enjoy the cat and cloud coffee podcast is brought to you by wilbur curtis they make coffee brewers ever heard of them if you haven't you should they're an awesome family-owned company they're here in california they power their facility with solar power which i hear that's like a new hot thing that progressive people do the best thing about Curtis, in my humble opinion, is the turnaround time on the Brewers. They have a 24-hour turnaround. It's phenomenal. If you've ever ordered a Brewer for a wholesale client from someone else and waited and waited and waited for it to come in, you know how frustrating that is. So being able to get the Brewer next day like that is absolutely amazing. Shout out to you, Wilbur Curtis. Their customer service is phenomenal and they just care. They care about you. They care about me and I care about them. And that's why Cat and Cloud Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis. 